Hello and we are back for a beautiful week and this is the 16th episode of the Deliberate Talks podcast and bringing it week on week for you is your host Dakshin Adyantaya and what's on the discussion today well it's a conversation which few find lazy to indulge in and many lean towards before getting into any kind of problem solving practices i'm referring to research but before we talk to our geeky guests today on the same here are a few fun facts about research according to consultancy the research market is worth 76 billion dollars ibis world states there are around 260 companies that are a part of the research industry in the united states of america also think with google highlights in spite of consumer research extremely being important for businesses less than 40% of marketers use it and apart from that around 88.37% of americans use google to do their research and finally question pro highlights that there are around 17 different types of research well now that the stage is set let's get straight into a conversation with our expert today right after this intro This is the Deliberate Talks weekly podcast powered by the Pixelated Egg Digital Ventures. Tune in every week to learn something new about digital marketing and entrepreneurship. And now, over to the voice of your host, Dukshin Adiantaya. Enjoy the show. So on today's episode, we have someone who's a three-time award-winning market researcher. blogger and a speaker most notably he was also being named as one of the best market researchers in the united states of america and europe by confirm it apart from this he's an avid contributor of articles in forbes and adweek he's currently the associate partner at newgate research in uk here's introducing jake who's also popularly and fondly known as the research geek hello jake Thank you for being a part of the Deliberate Talks podcast. Thanks for having me. So tell me Jake, you're popularly known as the research geek. How did that name come into existence? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> so it actually came by accident. So when I came out of university, I was looking for a job like any sort of graduate and I was really struggling to get that first sort of graduate job at the start like many individuals do. and i swapped cvs with someone in the same university and i thought wow we've got the exact same cv we did the same modules we did basically the same dissertation and we did the same sort of research methods at university and i thought well what's going to beat me to you or what's going to beat that other person to the to the job and i thought well if i created a blog if i created that sort of personal brand behind who i was then that would be a sort of a niche for who i am and what people could remember me by um so i created it first just to be to get a bum on a a seat at an interview um but now i've sort of taken the that personal brand in a lot of different ways now um which has yeah really helped during my career but also to meet new contacts and meet new people like yourselves along the way amazing and from that interview to speaking at various forums to becoming a writer at Forbes how has the journey been so far yeah it's been amazing so i think 
I wouldn't have been able to get a like a column in Forbes or column in sort of advertising week or even speak at advertising week in New York um, mm. without just growing my my presence from zero. I get a lot of questions sometimes around, oh, you've got X thousand followers in a, a pretty boring sector who are individuals who are quite interested in what you say. And I say, yeah, that's great. I'm not overly fussed about how many followers I've got, but I always say that everyone starts at, at ground zero. Um, everyone starts on follower zero. And then it's all about sort of engaging with individuals who have, who have a, the same interests as you. So then, yeah, you can collaborate and share ideas and share thoughts. And that's just how it's sort of grown organically, not using any advertising or not using any bots or anything like that. And yeah, no, it's just engaging with other people around the world about research and about my sort of opinions on the sector. Right. That's great. And, you know, like you rightly mentioned about being boring, right? Research, of course, as a subject has been given so many names over the years. Boring, tedious, complicated being most of the common ones. Tell me then again, why should people make friends with research? Yeah, so I think like you said, it, even when I was at university, it was a boring and tedious, anything what businesses had to go through. Um, but I really wanted to try and see how we could change that when I first entered the sector. And I think how I like to say it is that let's just say you're, you're riding a bike or you're in a car and there's loads of fog in front of you. So you can't see a thing. But then when you put on your headlights or you put on a torch, some of that fog goes away. So you can see maybe half a mile in front of you or a mile in front of you. And that's when you're basically putting on the, that market research switch, I guess, because you're actually being able to see what is 30 minutes in front of you or what's a mile in front of you. So you're able to predict what your, your behavior should be in the future. If your headlights weren't on and you weren't conducting market research, then you'd be navigating through your, that space blind, basically. Um, you wouldn't know what's coming in front of you. You wouldn't know what your competitors are doing side by side. And you wouldn't know actually what other your customers are doing during that time either because mm. you just can't see. So I think for any business, whether it's your startup or whether you're a sort of a FTSE 100, 500 company, then there's a, an opportunity there to understand what your customers are are thinking um, during the pandemic as well, but also post COVID-19 um, to, yeah, look at your business and look at how you can engage with your customers. Hmm. And to ensure this happens successfully for a client or a business, there's a lot that goes into the shoulder of a researcher. But tell me, how does a day in a life of a researcher look like? <laughs> <laughs> My life or a normal researcher's life? Any researcher's life. Okay, cool. That's fine. Um, so I think a lot of the time we are, now we, we look at research more on a sort of a strategy level. So maybe four or five years ago, it was very much a, the industry, if you Googled market research, you would probably find that there would be images of like geeks on laptops um, mm. using SPSS and in a really dark room, looking at numbers all the time, which is not the case whatsoever. Yes, there is a, an element of sort of mathematics and statistics within market research, but now I think it's a lot more strategic where we are working with clients and brands on a daily basis to make sure they are making best use out of sort of market research and the insights a lot of agencies and freelancers provide on a daily basis. So I think 
25% of our time is looking at sort of methodology development and working with brands to understand what they really want to get out of a particular market research project. Then another 25% is actually sort of further developing that to make sure that it's going to provide some rigorous results for the client. Mm -hmm. Um, So they can then sort of use that information to make an outcome or a a business case for change if needed. And then a lot of the other section is more around reporting and that strategic advice and making sure it's commercially relevant for that business. Um, Because I hate it when you, when some individuals receive a report, Mm -hmm. they're left to sort of do what they need with it or they're left to decide what they want to do with it. But actually as a, a researcher now, it's becoming a lot more sort of, we need to make it a lot more commercially relevant. So your senior leaders and your sort of C-suite individuals think market research should be a, a department what businesses should have in the sector. That's just because we don't necessarily market ourselves very well in comparison to other sort of departments or other sort of sectors in the sort of business world. And how much of this actually has an influence in your personal life? Do you have friends who say, because you are a researcher, research and tell me where do we go today evening for a breakout session? (laughs) I'm kidding. Okay, so tell me what else is a part of your 24 hours of your day? I guess I take that slightly differently. So um, whilst I've got my full-time research role, I've obviously got my sort of blog as well, which feels like another full-time job on the side of everything else. So I have to, yeah, manage time, responsibilities and that sort of family life as well, which is sometimes obviously difficult for anyone. Yeah, no, I think it's part and parcel of a, a career and sort of career development as well to try and juggle, juggle different things. But I think, yeah, if you enjoy it, then that's the main thing. Mm. And I like the part where you said as far as you like the process, that's important. You know, I run an advertising agency myself and, and regardless of the fact that I'm on the phone, Instagramming or tweeting, people think I'm working. Do you get that a lot too? I do get complaints about I'm on my mobile phone far too much, but that's probably because I'm tweeting or doing something random for work. So no, I do get those odd complaints now and then whilst I'm on the sofa. I'm not going to deny that. Right. Now, just redirecting our conversation back to research, you know, you, you beautifully explained it in the form of fog and the headlights, but from a client journal point of view, Tell me a story that showcases the importance of market research. Yeah, sure. So I've worked a, a number of times now with sports brands. The, the issue with, with sports brands is now there's so many around. So yes, you've got your Adidas, Nike, Under Armour, some of those main sort of brands, what you see on a high street. But there's also now a lot of emerging sort of sports brands who are really concentrating on a, a particular audience. Um, and that might be your everyday gym goers, or it might be actually those really interested individuals who like to wear sportswear um, around the house, um, when they go shopping, but also when they go to the gym. So I've worked a lot with a range of different sports brands looking at what type of products and what type of sort of next product releases their customers and potential customers would like. That's really interesting when you look at where the market is sort of shifting at the moment, because Yes, opinions and behaviours change over time, but the type of sort of clothing and the type of sort of trainers we would like to purchase, we've, we've got our own sort of own personal traits and personal interests. So I worked with a number of brands to, one, it was looking at sort of trainer development. So we asked consumers to basically develop their own sort of trainer, what it would look like, including sort of the colours, the, the laces, um, the sole, 
And then we also looked at things like what type of price range would they be interested in in purchasing that product as well. So the brand could then look at the, the price range of um, whether they were looking to have a high price margin or whether they were looking for this particular trainer to be a sort of a low to medium price range. And all that research came together to mould this brand new sort of product range for the brand. And that's the type of research what I really enjoy because you know it's actually having an impact on the business and they're using that information to create a, whether it's a new product range or whether it's to have an impact on sort of staff wellbeing. So yeah, there's loads of cases where I've been doing research and there's always been a sort of return on investment, which is really important for the client or for the brand. And about this return of investment, you do talk a lot about monetizing using research, right? Could you shed some light on that as well? Yeah, so I think return on investment, I think it's really important. So obviously every year market research budget in some businesses will, will decrease, unfortunately, whilst other brands and other organizations, it might increase. But I think the, the main reason for those increases or decreases in budgets is because we aren't actually selling ourselves very well to those C-suite or to those higher exec individuals who have the budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why then the budget gets sort of moved into sort of different departments. So I think that return on investment point of view is more around actually making sure that the research what we do conduct is completely commercially relevant. Um, we're conducting research to make a, a suitable outcome or it's to navigate through a space what we might not be able to understand at the moment. And then actually speaking with those high up individuals, C-suite individuals about the research we've conducted and how then they can make those business changes from the research. Because I think, yeah, too many times where a research department is is sat in a corner or or sat away from the main sort of hub of the business. And when it comes to reorganization sort of changes within a company, that's why sometimes research is one of the first to go because we're not as sexy as other departments or other sort of teams in a business um, that's why we need to sort of elevate who we are and what we do right. and why sort of market research is important right and, and when you talk about research because it's such a wide term and there are multiple business cycles where a research comes into the picture right so be it, uh, the category research or new product research or even a current market scenario when do you think research should step in in these cycles and how do you know when do you need it Sure. Um, well, I think it all depends on the, what sort of business questions you have mm-hmm. and what you want to answer in the first case. At the very starting point, it's always important to sort of think about why you actually want to conduct research. And then you can fit a sort of a solution or a methodology around the, those business outcomes you want to sort of generate. But whatever sort of solution or whatever sort of methodology you pick, at the end of the day, you're, one of the main reasons is that you're trying to gather opinions from consumers whether they are your customers right now or potential customers in the future mm-hmm. if you're a business orientated that is so i think it's it's really yeah like i said understanding what those business outcomes need to be whether it is like you said looking at product development or it could be customer experience or it could be things like social media listening um, which take a whole new different i guess lens or thinking about research in today's world You know, interestingly, you mentioned about social listening, and it's a great tool to understand your customers' sentiments towards brand, product, and services. But tell me, how do you filter the data that you receive from the social listening tools? 
and how do you make the best use of it for your business? So I think first it's actually pinpointing those key keywords and key terms what you're you're looking for when you are looking at social listening. Because I think at a starting point you can really you can see loads and loads of information out there which can sometimes be quite mind blowing and quite confusing. So I think always looking to refine those key terms or keywords to make sure you're you're actually collecting the, the correct information. And then actually sort of segmenting and sort of cutting that data into sort of smaller smaller groups um, to look at what sort of topic is being com- talked about and also what type of who's actually making that conversation so are they male are they female what type of age group are they are they a particular nationality i think on social listening especially with some of the tools out there at the moment you can do so much in terms of analyzing who the the actual audience is you can really make a an interesting story about who's making a conversation about a particular brand and how they're also making it in the moment. Because what I really enjoy about the social listening part of research is that you don't actually have to directly ask someone for their opinion. They're making it on their own. Um, they're not making it with someone sort of pestering them or with a, an online survey. They're making it in an opinion in the moment about a particular brand or maybe a particular sort of governmental decision that then we can analyze and make a sort of assumptions on or make an opinion on after. Interesting. And of course, you can use these social listening tools to analyze your competition and create SWOTs as well, right? So what are some of the important questions to consider while drawing a SWOT analysis? Yeah, another really good question as well. So I think the first sort of question I always ask clients before even looking at sort of a SWOT analysis is actually, why did you create your organization in the first place? And I always think that after an organization has been sort of running for maybe two or three years, they often forget why they actually created their company in the first place. It's mm-hmm. normally then they're always thinking about that sort of monetary figure at the end of the year or end of the month. And they're always looking at the sort of the bank account to see how much money they're making. Then they sometimes sort of forget the real reasons why they're putting in so many hours to create this business. And I think that then sort of lends itself into that sort of SWOT analysis to understand what your sort of threats are in terms of whether your customers are going to be looking to go to a, a different competitor or a, maybe a different particular market, but then also what the opportunities are. And I think the opportunities right now are, are really interesting because we don't actually know if consumer behaviors are going to go back to how they were maybe la- last year after we come out of COVID-19 or if they're going to slightly sort of change into a maybe this new new way of working or or new way of sort of communicating with each other because i think a lot more people now are using things like social media and sort of other sort of conversational tools on mobile phones to sort of communicate with people yeah i think it's going back to the drawing board in some cases even if you are a five to ten year business and looking back at what's the real reason why you created your your company what were the reasons why you were sort of unique in the market in comparison to other companies. And then actually going out and, and chatting to customers. The cheapest and easiest way of asking customers for feedback is actually just calling them up mm-hmm. and actually engaging with individuals who are spending money on your brand or on your company, which then can sort of start to fill in some of those gaps on your things like your SWOT analysis or your, your opportunities where you want to look at product development. Because, yeah, like even you said, research can be really expensive at times and and that can put people off but there is also an opportunity to 
sort of gather feedback at scale using a lot of different alternatives um, in the sector. Mm. And coming to that part of affordability, when, when it comes to research, agencies are obviously expensive. And so are the resources because they are less in number and high in demand. So for a small business who rather opts for self-research, what are the tools available for the same? For self-research, I think there's a lot of what we call DIY tools. They are coming a lot more out in the, in the sector for individuals, entrepreneurs especially, who want to conduct market research by themselves. So you only have to look at sort of Google Forms, Typeform, Glow, Fastuna. You can input your sort of the questions you want to ask consumers and you may have a database what you, you would like to use or they can also send, send those questions to a, a database for you as well at a cost um, to get a, a more general public opinion piece about your business and about some of the questions you would like to ask the public. Right. And where do companies and tools like, say, a SurveyMonkey come into the picture? And companies like SurveyMonkey or SurveyGizmo and companies like that are they're an online survey tool, um, which can really help to sort of create that online survey to make sure that you are asking the correct questions and actually looks like a, a branded product when you actually send that survey onto a, a customer or a, a customer who might have sort of left as well. And that's that starting point of any research to use a, a tool like that to develop that survey design and, and how it looks and feels. And then you can send that on to your sort of customers, whether it's via an email or a mobile phone, WhatsApp. We've been asking individuals to reply by video. So you can get some really interesting sort of video replies by from customers, which then you can use in marketing or any sort of collateral when you go to market. Hmm, interesting, right? Uh, so another part of research is the advertisement data, right? So from a performance standard point of view, you get a lot of insights about customer behaviors towards a product, brand, or even content and creatives that are used in the ads. How does one effectively use this data and improve on this over time? Of course, so I think advertisement testing and sort of research along those lines is really important, especially during these times when maybe we are looking at the television or we are looking at our sort of mobile phones and laptops a little bit more than what we used to. And I also think it's an opportunity because of because we're maybe at home a little bit more, especially in the UK, there should be more research happening in that space because our sort of opinions and our behaviours are, are constantly changing. So take me, for example, two weeks ago, I wasn't going into London every day, but now fast forward two weeks, I am. So it's our sort of behaviours are changing constantly because of the, what sort of COVID-19 has sort of happened. So I think there's, yeah, great use cases for advertisement testing and also looking at the reactions of individuals so there's a lot of cool technology out there which can actually test what individual reactions are from adverts and from programs so instead of actually asking someone in the survey how would you feel if you were watching this particular advert you can actually use some technology which can actually understand what those reactions were of individuals without them sort of deliberately telling you so then you can see actually at what point in that advert were they really interested in that product? What times were they quite put off and were interested? And then what particular times were they literally just not watching the advert at all, totally disengaged? So then when you're a sort of marketing organization or you're maybe tweaking the advert, you can actually then sort of create that 
an advert which is underpinned by data and sort of consumer opinions before it actually goes live and when organizations are spending quite a lot of money on sort of advertisement spaces in the future. Makes sense. Now coming to the last part of this segment, Jay, let's try and understand the demand for a career in the research industry. What are the career opportunities the current generation can consider? So I think um, to be upfront and honest, it's really hard to get into the industry. I think there's a, a stigma that you have to have a, a social science or a sort of psychology degree go into market research, which I really don't think you need to. I think you just have to have a, an opinion on brands and on organizations, what you sort of purchase from to make commercially relevant sort of feedback and information back to those brands. There's a great need for it at the moment. And I think what we, we have seen in the, in the sector over the last couple of years is a, a really big push for things like data science and data analytics within the market research industry, because so many brands are, are dealing with big data, sort of new technology, which means that these types of skill sets are, are needed in the sector to keep pushing. So I definitely think there's a room for new and enthusiastic individuals to enter the sector. And I would love to see more young people join the sector and try and push it forward, which has held it back maybe for a couple of years. Great, great, Jake. I'm quickly going to change gears now and I'm going to move into our next segment, which is a rapid fire round. And it's time to grill you. <laughs> so are you ready for this? What happens now? <laughs> I'll try my best. Okay. Three global reports one should consider for self-research. Oh, good question. <laughs> okay. I would say maybe Cantar Media, Ipsos Murray, Global Web Index are three maybe who provide some sort of top-level reports for the public to look at. Mm-hmm. Tell me a few important words I should know when it comes to research and what it actually means. Quantitative research. Um, so that's looking at numbers and you're basically quantifying what, what an opinion is over a, a set number of time. Qualitative research. So that's actually asking individuals their opinion on a, a particular subject and you're getting sort of verbatim comments from those individuals, which can impact a brand. And I would say statistically relevant. So a lot of individuals think that by conducting a survey and sending that survey out to maybe 100 people um, means that they can make a a decision on their company or make a decision on their brand, which is completely incorrect. What you need to be is statistically relevant to the audience, what you're communicating with. So for example, if I'm creating a company in the UK, I would want to make sure that I've got a, a set number of responses from individuals in the UK to make sure that those answers represent the country as a whole. Mm-hmm. And 100 people wouldn't necessarily mean that the next 100 people would say the exact same thing. So it's making sure that you have enough responses um, to make a sort of a commercially relevant opinion on the data. Mm-hmm. As a freelancer, where does one need to go and find research related jobs? Ooh. Um, I would say social media, Upwork, and going to events and speaking to people. Okay. When it comes to project remuneration, how much can a freelancer expect or should charge per research project? Anything between five and $25,000. Wow. That's a lot. And what's the most common mistake people do when they conduct self-research? They don't ask for feedback from other individuals outside of the sector. And they don't sort of test online surveys before they are sort of sent out to the wider world. Okay. And finally, what's next for the research geek? (laughs) So I am 
sort of bringing Research Geek and the blog maybe a little bit more out in the sort of commercial space. So I'm inviting sort of different brands and different organizations to use my website as a sort of brand awareness tool, as well as a, a blog for themselves. So you'll see, you'll see the, my blog out there a lot more in the coming months. Fantastic. Good stuff, Jay. Friend us on your socials and let's connect. Now, moving on to our last round of questions. This question is from Pooja Shanoi, who asks, do you suggest a pilot campaign to test waters for a product or a service basis the data you receive? Or should I hire an agency or a research expert to conduct the pre-market research? So I think I would recommend doing, asking a, a pre an organization outside of your, your own sort of network. Because I think you can, you can always have an opinion on the, your sort of company. And it can become really personal. But what you, you actually want is some honest feedback on what the sector is and, and where the, the market could go in the future because you you could be spending a lot of money on it so that's why i always recommend sort of external external research for your business so then they can have that sort of honest and frank conversation about your your own company and where it could go in the future without you having that sort of personal thoughts in your head around yes i really want it to work or um yes there's the customer base there for for your business if that makes sense wonderful jake that's some useful tips there. And honestly, you have simplified research in the best way possible for us to understand. Not just that, you've also made it into an interesting conversation. So thank you for being a part of the Deliberate Talks podcast. And I hope you had a good time too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it was great fun. Great. Thanks, Jake. Well, that's it for today's episode. Hope this week starts on a fantastic note with researching for your existing business or for your next big career or entrepreneurial gig. If you have any feedback on the show, please, please, please share it on the deliberate talks at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on the social media platforms of the deliberate talks and the pixelated egg digital ventures. Join me this Friday for a bonus episode and next Monday for an episode with another guest. Until then, have a great week ahead and don't forget to inspire and be inspired.